So, um, I figure most of you all are familiar with, if you've been here very long at all, you probably are, should be familiar with, the five W's and an H, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. Okay. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Investigative questions. Five W's and an H. It's a good, <clears throat> um, good way to live, asking those questions. On a consistent basis, it's a good way to read your Bible, asking those questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Who's writing? Who are they writing to? What are they saying? When did this happen? Why did this follow this? How do I live this out? That type of thing. <clears throat> what we're going to look at today is Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, a couple things about Nehemiah chapter 3. What I try to do in preparation for preaching is that I try to listen to as many messages on the passage that I can by different people. I try to do some research in commentaries and other readings and articles and search the internet and then do my own study on top of that. And let me tell you how many messages I found on Nehemiah 3 on the whole World Wide Web. Zero. Zero. Now actually, it turns out there was one that I found later, but it was listed under Nehemiah 2 in the glossary here in this, uh, on this website that I was on. I actually didn't even go to Sermon Audio. I should have. But, um, but anyway, it's, but their, their table of contents said Nehemiah 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, and on through. And I'm like, well, what the world? So I, I thought, well, I'll check the end of 2. Well, the end of 2 was actually 3. So. Well, you know, and so what I want you to know is that this is in the Bible. Right? And it's, we, we say, and I hope that we believe that every word is inspired by God. Every word is the very word of God. So there's a reason this is in here. So this is not going to be a verse-by-verse normal preaching, teaching message. This is a lot different than than what we normally do. And we're going to ask ourselves these five W's and an H as we get to the end. Those are going to be our application points just to prepare you, okay? Um, This ever-increasing load of application points. I've gone from three and then before it was five. Now today it's six, right? So, but it, it's, it's very, I think today is more applicable than anything I've ever preached in my life. That's a big statement, isn't it? So I, I, I believe that. And we'll see that at the end. Now, I want to start this morning with a quote from D. L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody. He says this, A great many people have got a false idea about the church. They've got an idea that the church is a place to rest in, to get into a nicely cushioned pew and contribute to the charities, listen to the minister, and do their share to keep the church out of bankruptcy is all they want. The idea of work for them, actual work in the church, never enters their minds. I think it's a fair statement. Hmm. You know, it, it's. I'll say this up front too. <laughs> I've talked to a lot of pastors and church leaders over the last few years, and I've heard a lot of pastors and church leaders really moan about their people, decry the state of them, and how it seems it's a battle all the time, and all the resignation letters that they've written on Monday morning because of. And I'm going, I just don't feel that. And so when I, talk, when, I, when I read this quote and I talk about working in the church, I see you folks working in general and specifically for some of you. Most of you, I would say. And I appreciate that. Let me just say that up front. And today we're going to explore what it means to actually work in the church and to do the work of the church. And we're going to see that fleshed out in Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, I'm going to challenge you with something here, okay? We're going to read this whole chapter. It's going to take about five minutes. And there are a lot of those names in here, okay? I'm going to challenge you, if you can, and again, no shame if you can't, 
We're going to stand for the reading of the Word. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's going to take about five minutes, okay? So if you get tired in the middle of it and need to sit down, sit down. That's fine. But I just want to warn you up front, this is about a five-minute reading. And there's going to be some hemming and hawling and <coughs> faltering and, and stuttering when I come up on Elias Shibakila, the son of Hadabitsikaba. So that's going to happen, okay? But engage this because why? These are the very words of God. And I don't want us to forget that as, we, as we're reading this and we're going, why? Why? Ask these questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how, as we read this word and then we'll get into it and elaborate on it. So if you would stand as we read Nehemiah chapter 3, the very words of God. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachor, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Benah, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joida, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, my name's Jadon, by the way, that's Jason Don. And Jadon, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. <clears throat> Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumopth, repaired opposite his house, and next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashbaniah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath-Moab, repaired another section and the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Haloesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zanoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth-Hakarim, repaired the Dungate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhosa, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the Fountain Gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And then he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Rahum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired, Bavai, the son of Hinadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah, Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishab, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hekaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them... Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Masiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palau, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower, projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parosh. And the temple servants living in Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok the son of Emmer repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. 
After him, Hananiah the son of Shelemiah and Hanun the sixth son of Zalaph repaired another section. After him, Meshulam the son of Berechiah repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. Last verse. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Let me pray. God, we believe that these are your words and we believe that they are recorded in Scripture to equip us to do the work of the ministry. Help us, God, to see by the power of your Spirit and in just the same thought and and petition, God, help us to be doers of this Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoo! All right. Let me tell you, I've been looking forward to that. It's weird because it's been hard for me to sit down and just read that through, period. I mean, that's, that's tough, right? I mean, that's something in your morning devotionals. If you come up on Nehemiah 3, you kind of skim through it, don't you? But there's a lot of good stuff in here, okay? Let me explain something, too. <clears throat> As we read chapter 3, chapter 3 is an overview of the whole rebuilding process. So 1 and 2 have been in narrative form. 4 and following will be in narrative form. And this is starting at the end of chapter 2. And this process that chapter 3 describes takes the rest of the book. So we'll see the detail that happens here in this process through the rest of the book. So this is not, doesn't fit into the narrative. But it's like they're, they're telling something and they're like, okay, this is, boom, this is how this whole thing shook out. And then uh, chapters 4 through, was it 13 or 14? However. They didn't do this on the weekend. Now this, this something you're going to see later on too, this really should have taken a really long time. But if you know your Bible, if, if you don't know your Bible, let me say this. I, I, I don't think it's going to ruin a surprise. It, it took them 52 days to complete this wall. Now you're thinking 52 days, that don't sound like a real long time. It's not. This was a major building project. And because they cooperated, because everybody did their part, except those goofs that wouldn't bow and serve their master. We'll get to them in a minute. Because everybody did their part, they did this in 52 days. And if I remember right, I don't have the exact number here. Actually, I do, now that I think about it. I think this is over a mile and a half of wall. And they built it in 52 days. So, keep that in mind. Now... The fact that this doesn't fit into the narrative that we've been looking at, that this is an overview, is important. And you'll see in chapter 6, chapter 7, he talks about when this is completed, then this is completed, which shows that this is just, again, an overview. Okay? doesn't fit into the narrative timeline. This is big picture. And it will be elaborated on until the end of the book. Now, something I want to point out is I want to go back to the end of chapter 2, and I want to read the end of chapter 2 in conjunction with the beginning of chapter 3 because there's a progression here, okay? So this is the end. This is after they're telling Sanballat and the boys, the bad guys, for those of you that weren't here last week, Sanballat the Horonite and and his buddies, they're not nice people and they're saying, hey, why are y'all trying to rebuild this wall? Are y'all trying to rebel against the king? And then they're like, no, you need to be quiet because we're going to do what we're going to do. And he says to them, to the opponents, Nehemiah says, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we His servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Then chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests and they built the sheep gate. You see, he said we're going to rise up and build. And what do they do? They rise up and build. So part of what we've been talking about as we've started into Nehemiah is that there's a work for us to do. We don't have to build a wall. President Trump's doing that, right? We don't have to do that. Build that wall. Um, Move that bus. Build that wall. But we don't have a wall to build, but but what have we got to do? That's what I want us to think about today as we look into this chapter. As we look into the specifics of who did what, how they did it, why they did it, when they did it, all that kind of stuff. I want you to be asking yourself this question and these questions. What is the work that I'm supposed to do? Where is the work? that I'm supposed to do? Who do I work with? 
Who, what, where, when? When am I supposed to do it? Why am I supposed to do it? And how am I supposed to do it? It's going to be important because only you can do your work. And if you don't do your work, somebody else has to try to cover for your work. And that causes problems. So, um, I do have these maps. These are going to come in handy if somebody... I've got 15 sets of these maps. There's three maps per set. Can I have somebody come up and grab these and disperse them? Maybe y'all can... I don't see. I don't know how many rows are in here. But there's 15 sets of these. I'm going to have them up on the uh, wall two. Okay, one per three. 45 people. See, that's math, y'all. That's not that common core stuff. That's like basic math. You, di- you didn't have no long formula there. Reading, writing, arithmetic. Like I said, it'll be up on the, on the, uh, on the wall too. Didn't <laughs> take your shoes off. But I want you to have these, and again, take them home. And, it, and if somebody wants a copy that didn't get a copy to take home with them, yes, I say, we'll get you a copy. And wh- I want you to see with your eyes. I spy with my stinky eye some maps, okay? The first map, well, I'll wait until he gets them passed out before I explain what they are exactly. Um, and these maps have been two weeks coming. I wanted to have them last week, and the printer wouldn't cooperate. But we got her fixed by the grace of God. The first map that you'll see there, which is what I've got up here, this is the old city. This is Jerusalem, and you see the walls built around it. Okay, This was before they were exiled. What we're going to see, this says Jerusalem restored by Nehemiah, and, and you'll see in a second why it says that. The outside walls are the old city. Anybody still need a map? Give one to your grandfather. Okay, so, so the outside wall is the old wall, the whole city. Now go to the next map, which is a pretty color map. Look at that. Now look at the shape of that wall and go back to the previous one. You'll see that there's quite a bit of difference, right? I don't know what shape you might call that, some kind of polygon, parallel, something or other. In the old, in the old but if you look at this new one, this is the actual wall that Nehemiah and his friends built. Looks a lot different, right? Okay, yes, I've got a couple of nods, good. Okay, now, so if you, if you go to that first one, if you look up at the top of the page, you see the sheep gate. Now the sheep gate is where the narrative starts and where the narrative finishes. Okay, so you see the sheep gate at the top. If you look at, the, at that front page, it's like... That second page is kind of like it, it goes over, comes down, and then goes in a long skinny thing down near the dung gate there. Okay? So that bigger chunk, which would be to the left that you're looking at, was not there when Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. They rebuilt a shorter wall, not, not as wide a wall, but a little longer. So just so you know that, we're going to work that you can kind of use. Now the, second, the third map shows all those names that we just read. Who built what section? Okay, And again, I want you to see that visually, that this is not just some random what's going on, we, we can't see it. I want you to see it with your own eyes. And, and one thing is, like I see Hanun from the Valley Gate to the Dun Gate, MVP, y'all. Yeah. Right? It says he built a thousand cubits, right? He, he had the biggest part of the wall. But anyway, we'll, you, you can reference those as we go through here. Um, and like I said, we start at the sheep gate and then we work all the way around until we come back to the sheep gate. That's how this, when you, when you go back and read this, which I would really encourage you to go back and read it. Um, you see they, they started at the sheep gate and then they consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred. Okay? And then it goes on around and goes on around until it comes back to the sheep gate again. It's just so you know, to give you a visual reference there. Now, as we look through this progression, they start at the sheep gate on the north part of the wall. So that's going to be your, your if you're in the second map, north they point kind of to the right in the key there. So it's a little bit, little bit de- deceiving to see it sideways there. 
That's why I wanted that first page so you could see the sheep gate was up top to the north as far as top goes. So they start there and they work themselves around back to that sheep gate. Now, we're not going to get into what each gate means. That would have been a lot of fun, but we're not going to do that. Okay? Um, the sheep gate is where they brought in the... <laughs> you guys are sharp. Okay? And if you look at that first map, well, you know, I think any of the map, well, actually the third map's not going to show it. What's, what's right, if you come through the sheep gate, what are you going to come to ultimately? You're going to come to the temple. Okay? So, it's interesting to me that they start there. They start at the sheep gate. They want it repaired as kind of a first fruits offering of this wall. And who's building from the sheep gate? Eliashib, the high priest. Huh. He rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. Now notice a pattern here. Something, something specific goes on for most of this narrative. They're building where they're working or they're building where they're living. Okay? So these priests work in the temple. So what gate do they repair? The one that leads into the temple. Right, this is where the sacrifices come in. And again, now get, keep in mind walls and gates. This is important. Walls and gates for a city symbolize security. They symbolize peace. They symbolize safety. You've got to have walls and gates to be a protected city. So they start with a gate. And they start building from there. Elishab the high priest. Now this is the highest ranking guy in the priesthood. And him and his brothers rise up and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. So you see, if you're on that first page, they're going left. If you're on that second page, if you find the sheep gate, which I'm having a hard time doing right now. Okay, there's the temple. Sheep gate... Oh, there it is. Okay, it's at the very, very far right, okay? And so they're going, they're building from the sheep gate and they're going to the Tower of the Hundred all the way up to the Tower of Hananel. So they got a pretty, pretty big section there. So towers are where they would post centuries and troops and stuff. Those were fortifications. So they built from the sheep gate up to the Tower of Hananel. So that's a pretty good section. You got two towers and a gate and some wall in between there, okay? And they, when it says they built the sheep gate, sometimes you'll see they rebuilt things. Sometimes you'll see that they built things. That meant that that gate was gone. Okay? Some, some of these get rebuilt, which means that they were there, or, and some of them actually say repaired. Some stuff they built, some stuff they rebuilt, some stuff they repaired. There's some devotional thinking for you the rest of the day and tomorrow, okay? We talked last week... And this is something that's been really, really, really encouraging to me. I've heard the verbiage coming out of people's mouth. I've been walking my walls and this is what I've seen. Nothing could make me happier than to hear that stuff. That means that the Word of God is working. It's not my words, it's the Word of God. Okay. And some of you, as you've walked the walls, there's some things that need repaired. They're there, they just need fortified a little bit, tweaked a little bit. Some things need rebuilt which means there's some stuff there, but they got to be built all the way up. And then some stuff just ain't there at all. Those things that we're not doing, those things that we could do a little bit better, and those things that we need to tweak just a little bit. As you walk your walls of your life, and as you consider these things, ask yourself, man, this is just missing altogether. This, there's no opening in my life for the Word of God. I need to build that gate. Or maybe I had a good devotional life, but it's just kind of falling apart. I need to rebuild that gate. And I don't want to spiritualize this too much. And in some things you're like, you know what, I'm doing all right, but I could do a little more. So there's some repair work to do. But I just want you to ask you, we won't ask those questions anymore, but I want you to think about that. What needs built? What needs rebuilt? What needs repaired in your life? So you see the direction now. So they're building all around. Okay. A few things stick out to me, which my highlights didn't transfer when I went to PDF here. So I'm going to have to back out of here because the things that I had highlighted to talk about are not highlighted. So, 
So they went to work and they rebuilt, starting from the sheep gate and going around. Now listen, oh, there it is. There's my mile and a half, yeah. It begins and ends at the sheep gate on the north part of the wall and takes the reader on a counterclockwise tour of the mile and a half long wall surrounding Jerusalem. It moves from the north wall, verses 1 through 5, to the west wall, verses 6 through 13, then continues to the short southern stretch of wall, verses 14 and 15, and to the east wall, verses 16 through 31, before ending at the eastern stretch of the north wall, verse 32. So that's the, on this, it's the counterclockwise progression until we get back to the sheep gate. Now, something that's, there's a few peculiarities that stick out to me as I'm reading this. Where's Nehemiah? He's, he, he's not mentioned. There's another Nehemiah, but we know that it is another Nehemiah because he's got a different daddy. Uh, Nehemiah was the son of Hakaliah, if I remember right. Here, the Nehemiah that they talk about in chapter 3 is not the son of Hakaliah. He's got a different daddy. So it's not him. Where's Nehemiah in this? What, where, where's our guy? Where's the hero of the story, right? Yeah, well, there's, there's a couple of options here. Either he's just really humble and doesn't mention himself, which is a possibility. Now, he's got the work of governing to do, so he's probably doing some of that. He is kind of the overseer of all this. So did he build any of the wall? I don't know. I think we'll see later he's got his hands in a lot of different things. And as we go through the progression here, we don't see Nehemiah's name as one who has brick in hand building wall. But what is Nehemiah doing? The rest of the chapters are going to kind of spell that out for us. But I think it's interesting that he doesn't mention himself here at all. He's recognizing the work of the people. And let me just say, right now, the work of God is the work of the people. It's not the work of one person. It's not the work of the professional. The work of God is the work of the people. And that's what we see all through chapter 3. We don't see the emissary of the king doing anything here. We don't see the governor doing anything here. We see the people rising up and building. And that's important. They do the work. And that's what it's going to take if we are going to do And I'm not saying that excuses me from doing the work. That's not what I'm saying at all or done. I'm not saying you guys work, we'll oversee everything. That's not what I'm saying. We are responsible to oversee, but we've got to get our hands dirty, and it means that everybody has to pitch in. And if everybody doesn't pitch in, we've got problems. Let me tell you somebody else that's missing in this progression as we read through chapter 3. Did you see a stonemason mentioned at all? Did you see the professional wall builders mentioned anywhere? How about a carpenter? No. Yeah, we had to have some we had some goldsmiths and some perfumers. So when everybody got stinky, the perfumers had come around and some fruit spray, fruit spray. No. There's no stonemasons. There's no builders mentioned in this progression. As this is not the duty of one person, it's also not the duty of the professionals. John Piper's got a great book. You guys in Bible college should read it. It's called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. It's a great book. There's no pros here. These are all amateur wall builders. These are all people who shouldn't know what they're doing. But they've got their hand to the work and they're doing the work together without the professionals. Where were the stonemasons? I don't know, but they're not mentioned. That's, that's striking to me. The high and mighty governmental officials not mentioned and the professionals are not mentioned. Who is mentioned? Again, we talked about some of it. Just some guys with some funny names, right? Let me back up and go to my notes that are highlighted real quick. Because what I highlighted was some of the people that are mentioned. We already talked about the high priests and the priests. These guys aren't wall builders, but they're building the wall and the gates, right? Who else? Um, I talked about the perfumers. Hanani, Hananiah, sorry, one of the perfumers repaired 
and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad. What business does a perfumer have building a wall? Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. So this guy was, he was a high-ranking official. And what was he doing? He was elbow deep in stone and mortar rebuilding the wall. Did he have other things to do? You bet he did. He ruled half the district of Jerusalem. And he was working on the wall. So professionals aren't kept out. High-ranking officials aren't kept out. Verse 12, next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. That's pretty cool. But not just him, the end of verse 12, he and his daughters. It's not just a man's work, is it? The kitchen's not just the woman's work, is it, men? <laughs> that was weak. <laughs> Now, we talked here a couple Wednesdays ago about food and food prep and all that stuff, okay? And how we're all called to the work. Now, some guys, I don't want you cooking my food. I'll just tell you that right now, okay? But as far as prep work, as far as cleaning up, it's going to take all of us for this to work and for us to enjoy it and it not be a burden to just the women. So the guys, step up. Step up and prep if and when you can. Step up and help in the kitchen if and when you can here and help clean up. Because here, you would think that this is a man's work, right? Building walls, that's man's work. It's stinky and sweaty and hot burning sun and brick and mortar. And what we see here in verse 12 is, Shalom the son of... Which is funny to me. He's, he's ruler of half the district of Jerusalem and he's got his gals out working with him. I think it's awesome. Again, I think that's there on purpose inspired by God to show us that it takes us all. It takes man, woman. Paul would say in Galatians, there is no male or female as far as the Christian calling goes. Let me frame something up too while we're here. We are complementarians as Providence Bible Church. You say, what's that mean? It means that we believe that God has designed male and female in His image with specific roles as male and female. Okay? Does that mean that that disqualifies anybody from anything? Yes. And let me tell you what it disqualifies. We do not believe that Scripture teaches that there should be female elders. Okay? The elder is the husband of one wife. And no matter what the culture tries to tell you, only men can be the husband of one wife. And there's other reasons. God has entrusted the leadership role to men. He entrusted the leadership role to Adam. And when Adam dropped that ball, what happened? Sin entered the world. Scripture says that Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. And I'm not saying that women are bad or wrong because they got deceived. The leadership role belongs to the men. You're, so the ladies are saying, well, then what can we do? Anything else. Literally. You're just not given the oversight of the congregation nor the public proclamation of the Word in this public assembly. You say, well, we're good enough to teach your kids. Yes, absolutely. Praise God, you're teaching them every day. That, that's it. That, that's what we believe is complementary. It's a lot more than that. But that's all that we believe as complementarians that a woman is not called to do in church. And they can build walls, right? Absolutely. I know that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fuzziness there and a lot of wondering with people, well, what do you believe? What can we do? I'm telling you, anything but you should never exercise authority over a man in the proclamation of the Word. In your homes, men and women, you are co-heirs with Christ and you do have specific roles. There is a male role, there is a female role. Don't let those get muddied or fuzzied. 
The culture is trying to do away with them altogether. But I think it's interesting here that this guy who's ruler of the half of the district of Jerusalem is repairing the wall along with his daughters. Ladies, I've seen in too many churches, and I'll be done with this. I'll get off this stump in just a second. I've seen in too many churches where the women are doing everything because the men wouldn't do anything. And it's not biblical. So we're to be in this together, shoulder to shoulder, elbow deep in the mortar, building the walls together. Okay? So there's that. If you look all through here, and I'm not going to take the time to name them, you see people who are repairing across from their house, beside their house. Their home is right there. They're building where they're living. Now, what's the call for us there? Hello? Where do you spend most of your time? Either at work or at home, right? So where should you be doing the work of God? To answer our where question. Where you spend the bulk of your time? Home and work, home and work, home and work. There's a work to do at home. Husbands and fathers, I'll really charge you here. There's a work to do at home. And you need to be doing it. You need to be about it. You need to be walking your walls. You need to see what needs to be built, what needs to be rebuilt, and what needs to be repaired. And that's on you, men. Are you leading your wife well? Are you loving your wife well? How are you doing with your kids? That's not just her job. How about at work? Are you doing the work of God at work? You better be. Remember what we talked about in the Reformation? It was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Part of what we saw prevalently through that four or five weeks that we went through, I think it was five weeks we spent on Wednesday nights talking about the Reformation, part of what the Reformation was all about was bringing the kingdom of God back into everyday life. In your home. The home being a place of ministry. At your job, the job being a place of ministry. I don't work with any of y'all. That means that no, none of y'all can reach the people that I work with. That's my job. Ain't none of y'all living with me right now. Probably ain't going to happen. So it's not your job to run my household. It's not your job to disciple my wife and my kids as my wife and my kids. It may be your job to disciple my wife and or my kids in another capacity. But in your home, at your place of business, in your school, there's work to be done there. And all through here, let me just find... It, it, and the work is the work. Do your job. Make your bed. Help mom out. That's the work. That's part of the work. Sell mining parts. I don't. That's that's the devil's work, but I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm just reading through here, just looking. Uh, verse 19. Ezer, the son of Yeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent at the army of the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabbai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elishib, the high priest. They go on and on and on and on. The men of Sarnieri repaired. Verse 20. Ashub repaired opposite their house. Them Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. And you see that through here. I'm not, again, I'm not going to belabor that point. Do your work, do the work of God where you are. And we'll talk about why that's so at the end here. Okay? So there's no Nehemiah, there's no stonemasons, it's just a bunch of people rulers and perfumers and goldsmiths and just everyday regular people doing their part across from their house here and there doing what they have to do. And that's really kind of the summary of this whole thing. Now, we want to rush into, because we're running out of time, application. And I'm, going to, I'm not going to do them who, what, when, where, why, how because it doesn't work, because it, does, it doesn't build up well. Okay. First thing we're going to ask is why. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you remember why they had to rebuild the walls and the gates? Because God gave them over to judgment in 586 B.C. when the Babylonians came in and smashed their big giant walls, which goes back to this first uh, map, the big walls. Babylonians came in in 586 B.C. and leveled those things. Why? Because they had sinned. The people of God had sinned. They had not kept the law of God, so God gave them over to judgment because of their sin. Now listen to me. Please, as you're walking your walls, as you're evaluating, think about this. Our sins require us to go back. We've got to redo and we've got to build in new places in our lives. Again, here's the original wall. Here's Nehemiah's wall. It looks different. Why? Because of sin. They didn't have the big glorious walls that they had back when the Babylonians came in. The walls are different now. They had to redo and they had to build in new places. And we have to do the same thing in our lives because of our sins. Sin brings the judgment of God. We sang all this morning, we celebrated the table, recognizing that the wrath of God is satisfied. I stood condemned in your presence, but He did something so that justice was satisfied when Jesus did what He did. But listen to me. Sin still has consequences. God does not remove the consequences of our sins in this life. I still stand perfect in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did. And the guilt of my shame, the guilt and shame of my sin is taken away because of what Jesus did. But I can't go out and just go steal something and expect no consequences. If I'm a a thief and a, a swindler and I steal money and I get caught stealing money, I've got to pay the price. I don't go to God and say, will you please forgive me and take these consequences away? That's not the way it works. Sin has consequences. So we have to evaluate our lives and say, what of this in my life is a consequence of my sins? Again, men, I'll charge you specifically. How's your relationship with your wife? Is it bad? The first thing that I would have you do is look at your life and look at the sins in your life and see what walls you've got to rebuild or tear down maybe in that case so that your relationship with your wife is right. Your sins have caused your relationship to drift. Or maybe her sins. Maybe both of your sins. So these sins have consequences. Why were they rebuilding? Because God had given them over to judgment. Jerusalem was the city of God, the joy of the whole earth, according to Psalm 48.2. With these gates destroyed and these walls torn down, did it look like they were the joy of the whole earth? Psalm 87 too, says that God loved Jerusalem. Well, it didn't look like it, right? But they had sinned. And the fact that we sin means that work has to be done. And the fact that work has to be done is not a sign of God's displeasure with us, but rather a sign of the destructiveness of sin. God has something better for us than our sin. But when we sin... We have to rebuild some things. We have to repair some things. And we have to start from the ground up on some things. So why? They had to rebuild and we have to rebuild because of sin. Sin has consequences. Now we won't spend a lot of time on who, which is the second one. Who was it that was doing this building? We've seen it. Just just people. Just everyday common people who had other things to do. Anybody busy? John, I don't really think you're that busy, buddy. Just, I appreciate the crowd participation. <laughs> Just don't know that you're overloaded with busyness. <laughs> My guy. These people were busy too. They had lives to live. They were subsistence livers. They lived from day to day, wondering if they were going to eat the next day. They had other things to do than build a wall. But as a matter of priority... They decided if we build the wall, it makes our life a little better. Who was building? Everybody. 
except those jokers who wouldn't stoop. We mentioned them earlier, right? They wouldn't stoop and serve their Lord. Hmm. Be careful that you're not one of those guys. You've got other things to do. You're too important to do the work of God. You're too important to help out vacuuming the church building. You've got things to do. Who was building? Everybody. Who's supposed to build now? Who's supposed to work now? Everybody. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. God has made us a kingdom and priests unto His God. Who? Us! You, me, us. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, you are called to the work. And remember, what is the work? We'll get to that in a minute. Why did they build? Who built? Where did they build? Again, we've covered this pretty good. Not going to spend a lot of time there. They built where they were. They built where they lived. They built at their house. They built at their place of business. And when somebody needed help on another section of the wall, some of them went and helped in the other sections of the wall. Now, where do we build? Where we live. Where we work. Where we go to church. I'm not trying to be condescending. I don't want to make this sound over simple. But it's pretty simple. Right? We keep looking for God to send us somewhere to do the work of God. You don't need to go somewhere to do the work of God. You need to do the work of God where you are. Now maybe He'll send you somewhere, won't He? Maybe He'll send you to South Africa or Puerto Rico, Canada. I don't know. But until you know, work where you are. (laughs) If it's not working at home, why export it? That's true. Work where you are. When I say work, again, I'm talking about preaching the gospel, loving God, loving your neighbor. That's the work that we've got to do. Now, we've got specific work that we need to do here, for sure. It's a little bit labor-heavy to have a meal every week, but if we all pitch in, if we all help, here, it's not as bad. We've got work to do here. We've got to keep this building up that was a gift of God dropped in our lap. So we work here. We work in this community. We work in southern West Virginia. Why? Because it's where we're at. Husbands, wives, moms, dads, kids, work in your home and do your work as unto the Lord. Seriously, make your bed as unto the Lord. Fold the laundry, do the dishes, cut the grass as unto the Lord, knowing that as such, you're serving those around you. At your job, work harder than anybody else. Be the best. Students, be the best students at the college, at the high school, at the middle school, at the elementary school, at the home school. Work where you are. When? Yes is the answer to that. Yes. In season and out of season. We saw last week, pray without ceasing. When you sit down, when you rise up, when you're at the table, when you're walking along the way, whether you're eating or drinking or any such thing, do all to the glory of God. Listen, every thought, every emotion, everything you put in your mouth, everything that comes out of your mouth, when? Yes! Do the work. The work of what? That's our last question. See what I did there? It's not our last question, but that how. What? When we were in management training at one of the jobs that I had a long time ago, they always told us to remember WIFM. Anybody know what WIFM is? It doesn't mean to smell people. That would be Sniffem. This is Wiffem. W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? The what question that I want you to ask this morning, and this is really the main thing I want you to hear me say. I want you to ask, as far as the work of God goes, what's in it for me? You say, well, that don't sound right. Well, it is. It is right. Let me tell you why it's right. What was in it for these 
Israelites to do this work. Did they get any benefit from building a wall? Uh, yeah. Protection, safety, some good feelings too. Hey, I helped build this section of the wall. They could tell their kids, hey, me and your mom and your sisters built this part of the wall here. But safety, security, they weren't just doing it to be nice people. They weren't, listen to me, they weren't just doing it because it was the right thing to do. Ooh. If you are living the Christian life because it's the right thing to do, you are going to be miserable. To satisfy your conscience, you're going to be miserable. So people here won't talk about you, you're going to be miserable. I want you to ask what? What is in this for me as I do this work? You say, well, that just sounds anti-Christian. This gets back to the Moody quote at the beginning. Are we just in this thing to come in and pacify our conscience and quote, Moody, get into a nicely cushioned pew and contribute to the charities, listen to the minister, and do their share to keep the church out of bankruptcy? I certainly hope there's more in it for me than just that. What if working in with and for and about the church is actually something that benefits me and is something that I can even enjoy. Wow! This can surely and should surely be part of our attitude in the work of the Lord. What's in the work of the Lord for me? Our joy, our good, our life in the context of doing God's will. If you look at the Israelites in Nehemiah, they had a vested interest in getting God's will accomplished. It was their wall near their homes for their safety and protection that was a giant motivation in motivating them to work on the wall. Some of them even had to work on the dung gate. If sheep come in the sheep gate, what do you reckon goes out the dung gate? You, you, you just sign, oh, I'll do the dung gate, that'd be great. I'd say the people that built the dung gate probably had something to do with getting the dung out the city. They had a vested interest. It was going to be good for them. They didn't have to walk around the rubble anymore. They didn't have to go the extra half a mile. Now they could go straight through the gate. People don't just sign up to rebuild the dung gate. People don't just sign up to clean the bathrooms on Sunday. And if they do it and say, well, I, there's going to be reward in heaven for me here because this is gross. Holding your nose. Hold your nose when you clean the bathroom. It's fine. I don't care about that. But what's in it for you? In the same way that they saw tangible benefits, it's the same for us. Listen to me. Please, 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 please listen to me. Doing God's will, completing God's work, translates into a very direct contribution into our very own lives. You see, when we do the work of God, by the Spirit of God, for the glory of God, and that's what this is all about, these walls are about glory. This work is about God's glory. When we do the work of God, by the Spirit of God, for the glory of God, listen, we are the ones who receive the blessing ultimately. We are created in the image of God for the sole purpose of glorifying God. You were created to glorify God. Showing God to the world for who He really is. And as John Piper has said thousands of times, and as we've repeated here many other times, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. We get to enjoy God. We get to enjoy His will. We get to enjoy His work. And we get to enjoy His very presence with us when we are doing God's work when we are doing God's will, when we are building God's wall. 
You reckon there was some hard times building that wall? We're going to see that there were. But do you reckon there was some joy? You reckon there was some camaraderie built? You think there was some lives that were meshed together that had never even probably even met each other? Yeah. Does that mean it's always easy? No. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about easy. And if all you want is easy, sorry. The people of God and the work of God is not for you. I'm not talking about easy. The Israelites worked hard and what we will see later were dangerous and maybe even combative situations. But if all you want is easy, you aren't operating in reality anyway. But if you want joy, true, enduring joy, then God's work, when it's hard, when it's easy, and everything in between, is the only possible path we have to choose. And what's in it for us? Not comfy pews and clear consciences, but true, meaningful joy that endures from the present and into eternity. Listen to me. Listen to me. This work is about your joy. Or you've missed the point completely. When it's hard, when you don't feel like doing it, it's for your joy. And maybe that joy is deferred. Maybe it's not in the moment. Maybe you've got to endure somebody bumping their gums right in your face. And you're going, really, have I got to sit here and listen to this? Love, serve, bless, encourage by the power of the Spirit of God and the joy of God follows, which is the answer to the last question, which is how? How do I do this work? I tell actually have it up on the screen because I'm a slacker this week. How do we do this work? Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. It's a familiar verse. He's telling them what to do here. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's how we do this work. In the strength that is provided by the very joy of the Lord. When it's hard, when it's easy, when it's comfortable, when it's not... The joy of the Lord is your strength. Or you will not have any strength. You will not endure. And the building project will be too much for you. The work of God will be too much for you. Or it just won't fit into your agenda. Or it doesn't really impact your area or your job. And you'll go your way and you'll try it your own way. Never find lasting joy. Psalms tells us that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. When we are doing the work of God in the power of the Spirit of God, we are in the very presence of God. And His joy sustains us. Or we will not be sustained. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Think about it. Let's pray. God, we have not answered every question this morning. We may have posed more than we had when we walked in here. That's not bad. It's not wrong. Have your way. Motivate us, God, by your joy, for your glory, so that we might do the work that is set before us as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as mothers, as children, as brothers and sisters as co-laborers in your kingdom. God, help us to build our section. Help us to do our part. And we've been placed in the body uniquely for the very purpose that you've placed us there for. Help us to see it and know it. And may we do it by the power that you provide. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction as we finish? Now to him 
who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stay and eat with us if you can.